Welcome to the Unorthodoxy podcast and to the fourth episode in my series on the Enneagram. Each episode builds on the previous episode, so if you feel a little lost at any point, I'd highly recommend that you go back to the previous episodes to get some of the background of what I'm saying here. The Enneagram itself is this amazing dynamic system, and the whole purpose of the Enneagram can be understood as a kind of double movement. The first part of the movement alerts us to the ways in which we have embraced illusion over reality, and the second part of the movement pulls us back into reality itself. Think of the Enneagram as being a bit like the red pill in the Matrix movies. It's there to help us to wake up. And if we're honest, the experience of waking up may not necessarily be all that pleasant. Sleeping is often way cozier. Of course, like any tool, you can use the Enneagram in harmful ways too, especially as a way to judge people wrongly. It's really important to understand that the categories used in the Enneagram are both general and specific, and this means that there is a necessary imprecision at play in the Enneagram. You can't assume, for instance, that just because you know what Enneagram Type 7 personalities trend towards, that you actually understand what this or that specific 7 type is like. The Enneagram does allow a kind of ESP, but skepticism is very healthy when it comes to typing people. Mistyping is very common. And in fact, I see the primary aim of the Enneagram to be that of nudging us towards self-understanding and self-actualization, rather than moving us toward more readily judging others. So, my intention here is not to judge, but to participate in the original intention of the Enneagram, which is to create awareness and compassion. The Enneagram does offer a few labels and categories, but the categories aren't supposed to be treated as boxes for people. In fact, the categories of the Enneagram are perceived as things that can be challenged and expanded, depending, of course, on who you are and where you are on your journey. In this episode, I want to take a little tour through the question of how we speak. This is a perpetual fascination of mine because we know others through how they speak, through their words, and we sometimes forget that we might also know ourselves through how we speak. We know our lovers, our friends, our kids, and everyone else through dialogue and presence. And so it's no surprise that the Enneagram focuses on two things in particular with regard to our presence to others, namely the energy of each Enneatype or Enneagram type, and then the conversation style of each type. I can say from experience that it is really amazing when you start to pay attention to the energies of people. You'll you'll notice how they carry themselves and what energy they give to you Uh, or to any room they walk into. And also, you start to see how the energies of people play out in their conversations. I think of one of my students who happens to be a seven on the Enneagram and how just, just the fact that he might walk into a room filled with depressed people because they're often designers, so there's always a little bit of melancholy in the air, lots of Enneagram 4 energy going around. But this seven type student walks in and the entire mood of the room will change. Suddenly, by the mere presence of this guy, hope becomes real and it's possible for people in the room to believe in a way that they didn't before that things are going to be okay. 
And then, unlike this student of mine, there are other people I've met who are like black holes of, of energy. They suck the light out of the room. They take all its energy. And then there are others who make very little difference, mostly because they don't know their own gifts. But as I've said, it's not about energy or just about energy. It's about what we say, how we channel energy through language. So what are the conversation styles of the different types, And how do these conversation styles relate to the presence or energy of the different types? As I run through these, I'm hoping you feel a sense of recognition and even find a way to laugh at yourself a little. You might find yourself laughing at me later on or at a few of the people that you know. More mature types, by the way, tend to be more open to other ways of being and talking depending on the setting. But most of us even in our mature states, will gravitate to one particular tone and conversation style. And, of course, I know there are exceptions to the general trend that I'm sketching here, but hopefully this general trend will illuminate something for you, or at least a few things for you. I'm going to start with nines in on the Enneagram, since in the previous podcast I started with ones. The last shall be first and all that. Nines feel often more like environments than people. And, and I, I'm, when I say this, I mean that they carry this tremendous sense of presence, although somewhat paradoxically, they also tend to fade into the background. Nines are known as peacemakers for obvious reasons. They, they sound agreeable when they talk, although sometimes they also come across as being a little bit non-committal. They are highly receptive at times, but they can also at times switch off. When given space to talk, nines adopt the talk style of epic saga. They kind of lose touch with their own experience and they get lost in a story or a theory and they go on and on and then they keep on going. Think of Barack Obama or Matt Damon or the Dalai Lama or Jeff Daniels. Queen Elizabeth is a nine, I think, as is Renee Zellweger and Kevin Spacey too. The energy of nines is grounded and solid and spacious or open, but it's also a little on the sleepy, slow, and vacant side. At best, it's peaceful. It's, it's not about ruffling anyone's feathers, as I said in the previous podcast. Then eights. Well, that eight energy is not like nine energy at all. Because eights are more in touch with their anger than nines, it, actually eights sometimes are their anger. They are bold, direct, matter-of-fact, brash, and confrontational in their talk style. Eights have a tendency to speak with a lot of exclamation marks and strong contrasts. Yes, no, this is nice, that's not nice, stop, go. I know this sounds a bit like a caricature, and of course it is a caricature, but... There is this, the truth beneath the caricature is that eights aren't really likely to be fond of ambiguity. Eights are challenges, and their energy is strong, solid, and even a little bit intimidating. They can be irreverent, especially if they want to see how you react. They're the, the throw-a-grenade-into-the-room conversation stylists. Nadia Boltz-Weber is a very centered eight, and if you've ever heard her speak, you'll know it. Martin Luther King was an eight and had this tremendously commanding presence, very concerned with justice. Eights like ones are the most likely to give in to either or or dualistic thinking and should therefore be careful about this. Then sevens. 
Sevens, like eights and threes, have also got quite a strong energy. But sevens are less confrontational than eights, a lot less. In fact, they tend to be pretty light on their feet, and their conversation style is anecdotal or storytelling. They tend to be enthusiastic, evasive, and are fond of exaggerations. There's a kind of buoyancy to their energy, but also a little bit of a restlessness. They're idealists, but their understanding of precisely what their ideal should be is often a little bit fuzzy. In a way, sevens try to communicate a sense of their own fun and positivity, although not all sevens come off as being entertainers like that famous seven Jim Carrey or other famous sevens like Hugh Jackman and Tom Hanks. The general idea is that they don't want to dwell in the negative in any way. And this comes across in their energy, and especially in their tendency to talk about their plans and their life stories. Remember, though, as we cover these numbers, that the mature types are able to drift into other energies more readily and other modes of speaking, although the residue of any number's energy will always be there. Now on to sixes. Sixes are actually, for me at least, a little difficult to pinpoint in their thinking style because they're very uh, concerned with with the, the wider context within which they fit. Often they're tentative and sometimes they can be very engaging. They, they want to be warm and friendly, but they can also just as easily come across as being a little prickly and rebellious or even a bit reticent. The ambivalence in sixes is usually quite evident in their way of talking. If they need to be, they can be provocative and engaging. But they may also talk about worst-case scenarios. They tend to forecast quite a bit. The energy of sixes tends to be a little bit on the anxious side. Contained, suspicious, punchy, and perceptive. There's often a very practical, down-to-earth edge to the outlook of sixes. In general, they tend to be curious about what conversations mean for life and relationships, especially since they're looking for stability, for a sense of loyalty. The famous sixes include Julia Roberts, James Spader, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, and George H.W. Bush. Now for fives. What do fives do? Well, they explain stuff rather alarmingly like what I'm doing right now. Sometimes their conversation style feels a bit like a mini lecture. Sometimes they start podcasts where they can share some of their insights. I call the conversation style of a five mapping or perceiving because it includes silences where they try to understand and moments of talking during which the five will try to situate what is said by someone else in terms of another context or another way of seeing. At their best, fives are engaging and perceptive in their talking. But at their worst, fives are a little bit too detached and may come across as being know-it-alls. They may not readily participate in a conversation until they feel safe to do so, and especially if they feel that what they have to say will contribute to how others will see the world. Famous fives include Ralph Fiennes, or Ray Fiennes, I think is how that's pronounced, Bob Dylan, Alfred Hitchcock, Ursula Le Guin, David Lynch, Annie Leibovitz, and many, many philosophers, Aquinas, Heidegger, Hegel, Wittgenstein, Noam Chomsky, and the psychoanalyst-slash-philosopher Jacques Lacan. So that is fives. Now on to fours. Fours have a conversation style that may be simply called lament. 
and sometimes lyrical lament. There's there's an aesthetic dimension to to fourishness. Fours enjoy looking at the world in terms of authenticity and self-expression. So this becomes a key point in their conversations. But because fours have a bit of one-ishness in them, which I'll talk about in an, a later episode, they tend to be discriminating and quite particular. Although in my experience, fours are more open to possibilities than ones are. Fours have an intense emotional energy, empathic, fluid, and, and leaning always slightly towards the melancholic. Sometimes fours are a little breathy in their style of talking, as some people in, in Enneagram writing have observed, but my experience is that this is not universal. Um, famous fours include Thomas Merton, Michael Jackson, Joni Mitchell, Alanis Morissette, and Meryl Streep. The intensity of fours is fairly true of other heart types, which includes threes and twos as well. So that brings us to threes. The intensity of threes is less emotionally charged than that of fours, although they are sometimes likely to come across as irritable if things or conversations aren't exactly as efficient as they'd maybe like them to be. Threes are more professional and polished, and they tend to be profoundly goal-orientated in their style of speech. There is a polishedness to how they talk. They, you could even say that threes are their own PR people. Speech is generally highly performative for threes. It's about showing competence, directedness, and togetherness. Some threes have this ability to adjust their way of speaking depending on who they're talking to. And this can be quite weird. It's this chameleonic thing that they do. Threes have a very strong, direct kind of energy, as I've said, an energy that communicates an orientation towards success. Although this success can probably be understood differently by different threes. Famous threes include Lance Armstrong, David Copperfield, Tom Cruise, and Oprah Winfrey. Then twos. Twos are arguably the most welcoming of all the Enneagram types in their communication style and in their energy. Their, their style of speech is very other-focused and very relational. That is, it, it is geared towards being concerned, helpful, effusive, and complementary. There's a softness about twos, an openness and sometimes a sense of flirtatiousness, although because of a kind of latent eight energy, twos can also be very emphatic in the way they speak. At their best, twos create space for others, just to be. At their worst, twos can be a tad controlling and even a bit invasive or manipulative. Famous twos include Madonna, Monica Lewinsky, Desmond Tutu, and Ariana Huffington. A lot of people see Jesus as a two, so twos are in good company there. And Christianity certainly has a lot of two-ishness in it, uh, which can actually be bad for twos. But that's something I, I will speak about in the later episode. Then the last number that we'll be talking about are the ones, and that will cover everyone. The style of speech of a one is preaching. And I like to joke, barking. Uh, like fives, they tend to sound like educators, but ones more than fives will insist on moral imperatives. You'll hear a lot of musts and shoulds and in insistence in their way of talking. At their worst, ones are like terrier dogs, always kind of nipping at the heels of the world. At their best, ones want the best for everyone, but they may be inclined to being a little too rigid in their approach to things. Of course, 
depending again on the maturity of the one in question. Ones feel very solid in their energy, very assured, very together, very directed. But if you pay attention, you'll notice how easy it is for ones to get into a resentful space with a, a kind of a little latent anger. Famous ones include Jodie Foster, Emma Thompson, Harrison Ford, and my favorite living philosopher, Slavoj Žižek. Ones are gut people who, who act like head people. And again, that's something that I will talk about at another time. So there you have it. Those are the conversation styles of each number and just a, a little rough sketch of some of the energies of each enneotype. I know that going into this in the way that I have, I've risked setting up a kind of pigeonholing process, which again is not my intention at all. As I said, my intention is actually to communicate the wonder and the importance of noticing people, not just at the level of what they say, but at the le level of how they channel being itself. Some enneotypes come across as being some, somewhat compliant, the ones, the twos, and the sixes especially. Some come across as being more withdrawn, namely nines, fives, and fours. And others come across as being much more extroverted in their energy, like threes, sevens, and eights. And while my descriptions in this podcast may at times feel a little off for you, depending on who you are and how you've experienced the world, I hope you'll start to listen with more than just your ears. Maybe, as the wonderful writer Frederick Beekner suggests, you can begin to listen with your whole life. Thank you for listening in to this Unorthodoxy podcast. My name is Duncan Rayburn, and I hope that you join me again soon for some more on the Enneagram. Cheers for now.